Eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting Chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is a Swiss luxury watch manufacturer based in Schaffhausen, Switzerland. Known for its unique engineering approach to watchmaking, IWC combines the best of human craftsmanship and creativity with cutting-edge technology and processes. Discover the full collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblockcrypto.com slash terms dash service. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block, and we have a duo treat for you today. Joining us on the other side of the mic, a great firm that's been kind of operating in the background. I mean, I've known about this company. I'm early to everything, right? But they've kind of been a bit quiet, and now they're making a big splash. We have Talos co-founders Ethan Feldman and Anton Katz. Gentlemen, Thanks for taking the time. I know we had to grapple and navigate through various logistical challenges. One of you had a kid. One of you got COVID. I also got COVID, but I don't know if that was an issue for for this recording. I did have to cancel a few. Anyway, for the novices or the Philistines listening to our show, of whom there are many, what is Talos? Yeah, so first of all, thank you very much for having us. You're welcome. My name is Anton. I'm the one who had the baby. <laughs> Ethan is the one that uh, had COVID. Hey, guys. Thanks for having us, Frank. Oh, no worries. Thank you very much. And you're right. We do know each other for quite some time. Uh, in fact, I think when we were starting, you were starting too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started Talos in 2018. Talos is really, you know, we're a platform. We're an institutional platform. We started off as a trading platform, providing you know, traditional and crypto native institutions with the ability to uh, to trade crypto assets. So really, you know, our background, um, Ethan's, myself, and the background of our entire team is, is building trading, large-scale trading systems that are used by institutions, whether it's banks or hedge funds, so buy side or sell side, to trade other assets. We've done this in effects, we've done this in fixed income, in futures, in treasuries. And so Talos is really, you know, it's uh, it allows those large institutions, whether it's, you know, hedge funds, buy-side institutions, proprietary, just systematic traders, or whether it's even brokers or banks or, or lenders to really connect through us to the digital assets ecosystem, to crypto, and to trade at, at its sense, right? So we today support a umbrella of services that allows us to uh, function as a one-stop shop, if you may, for institutions that wants to you know, trade or, or get in any way engaged in crypto. We support 
pre-trade. So we have portfolio, portfolio management, treasury services. We obviously have connectivity and trade execution. We connect to 40 different uh, destinations in terms of liquidity, whether it's exchanges, dealers. We have algorithmic trading. We have uh, DMA, RFQ. We always obviously have APIs and UIs. But we also do clearing and settlement through partnerships with companies like Firebox and Copper. We provide support to multiple custodians, and we do more and more right now also on the lending and borrowing side. So really that kind of like umbrella of services that allow the institution, whether you're buy side or sell side, to come in and manage your entire investment lifecycle in one place, you know, all the way from pre-trade and into post-trade. Does that make sense? But you're just offering the platform. You're not necessarily executing on those functions. You're exactly right. We are a technology provider at its core. We are not uh, your broker. We are not your custodian. We are connecting you to the rest of the ecosystem. We don't take risk in the market. We are not the lender. We're really connecting you and, and partner with quite a lot of people out there at this point to provide you this kind of uh, you know end-to-end services. So how does this setup or this structure help me as, let's say, a hedge fund navigate a lot of the uncertain over-levered environment that we found ourselves in crypto a month ago. Is there any element of, of de-risking there? Well, you know, I mean, so first of all, we work with quite a lot of different clients, right? We, generally speaking, we have, uh, I would say, two major client types. Some of the clients are buy-side institutions, the one that you're referring to, that could be navigating this kind of environment. But some of our clients are also service providers that have very similar, you know, well, very different concerns, but they're also operating in a very similar environment. So for instance, lenders are some of our mm. clients, right? And there's different services that we provide to those customers in order to, to navigate this domain. So for instance, a, a lender that's that's using our platform could be using the Talos platform for, for liquidations. And we've seen quite a lot of that usage. So if you're trying to, um, for instance, liquidate collateral in a market that's moving very, very quickly, Talos is exactly the kind of systems you need because we will allow you to connect to multiple destinations. Our algorithms will find the best destination for you to get out of that kind of position. It will track and, and implement that in real time. Yeah. If I had all this GBTC from Three Arrows Capital and I wanted to offload it, I could do that. Just give us a call. Just Yeah, call Ethan. Ethan, I've got I've got Just all this GBTC. Where do I, what do I do with it? I think the place that we can help really is on providing like institutional grade tooling that allows you to manage your risk, right? And I think a lot of people in crypto are realizing that you don't want to be running your trading system off a Python script that's like running on your laptop. Uh, you want to be really have, using a platform like ours that has the right level of reliability, safety built into it um, that allows you to really interact with crypto in an institutional manner. You know, the, the bottom line is like you and I talked about this before too, right? Mm. This, what we're seeing right now in the crypto ecosystem is not unique to crypto. We've seen these similar crises, you know, in, in traditional markets. And we have systems in traditional markets. We have processes in traditional markets to be able to reduce the risk, to be able to ensure that institutions can still continue operating. Those are the type of tools that we focus on quite a lot to bring to digital assets and provide the clients with the ability. You know, like it's a lot of this is lessons of the past. There's no need to relearn quite a lot of them. We've built a lot of those systems before in capital markets. Today, we are providing those kind of systems in crypto to allow the companies to interact in that institutional high bar that they need to meet here. So when you talk about lending, are you providing, are you lending out capital or are you connecting them with other lenders? 
No. So our job, you know, just like with liquidity, you know, when we came into liquidity, our job is not to provide liquidity and be on the other side of it. We were not a broker. Mm-hmm. Same holds true for us in the lending space. The functionality that we're releasing now, and this is going to be announced and we're going to be talking about it more and more over the coming months, is really about connecting lending and borrowers. You know, we have experience, a separate experience for borrowers, separate experience for lenders. Lenders can manage their uh, loan book and the borrowers can ask for quotes, uh, being able to to really facilitate that entire lending lifecycle. So yeah, we're, we're not the lender here. The idea is to connect the customers, our customers, to the to the multiple lenders that are available to do price discovery, documentation, exchange of principal and collateral, and more. Is anyone going to want to lend right now, Ethan? Any lenders of last resort out there, aside from Sam? <laughs> I, th- I think the way that we're thinking about it is that people still need to lend and borrow in crypto, right? There's still market makers out there. They're still making markets on exchanges. You need to borrow to do that. Um, I think that that what we're trying to do with this product launch is really provide the right level of tooling and providing the marketplace that Anton is talking about is really that first step. As we build this product out, we're building out more sophisticated tools. You don't need to run your loan book off a Google sheet anymore. You're going to be able to use the products that we're building to actually manage that risk appropriately. Yeah. And look, I mean, to answer your question plainly, the absolute answer here is yes. There are lenders. There will always be lenders. You know, credit is a is a crucial part of every other asset class. That's true for every other traditional asset class. It's not, you know, crypto is not going to evolve without the lending market, without credit, without capital efficiency. But we are seeing kind of like a reckoning there, right? What what has been done up until now? I think a lot of people are revising how they're thinking about risk, how they're thinking about counterparty risk, how they're measuring that, how they're safeguarding, what kind of systems they need to put in place. So overall, I think what we're going to see is actually we're going to see a much more robust, much safer, you know, credit market uh, emerge as a result of this. And I think there's also another voice that that hasn't really participated in the conversation because, like, honestly, a lot of this stuff just happened. But we're also going to see the regulators starting to come in and chime in on on what needs to happen, what kind of tools you need to put in place, what kind of risk guarantees you need to put in place to make sure that we reduce the systemic risk to the entire crypto ecosystem. So there will be lending. There totally will be. And there are lenders today that are you know, now becoming a much, much bigger portion of the market because they have the right process on their side. So we're not just going to be um, you know, engaging vis-a-vis Telegram and, and Signal. There might be, <laughs> you might have to be somewhere a bit more professionalized. If you look at some of the back and forth of these messages between Three Arrows and oh, no. and the yeah. the lending firms, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty eye watering. Look, I mean, the sector is is building up. I mean, you know this better than most, right? We still feel like this is just the beginning, and some of those things, some of these experimentation cycles are very very quick, and some of you know we've taken quite a lot of shortcuts here, and we've seen a bunch of institutions take a bunch of shortcuts. I do think that there's still, you know, this bilateral notion in crypto is not going away, but there are going to be use cases where you need to put a lot more structure. There's going to be use cases where you can operate a lot safer. Our job is to make sure that no matter what happens, you have a safe operation, it's reliable, you know, it's optimized, and you can really continue doing that at scale. But no, you know, like, I I don't think that we're completely going to go away from a full bilateral uh, nature of communication. I think that that would be pretty sad. Yeah, I guess that, you know, it kind of reflects the origins of this market. It's very unique. It's very fast-paced. And the sort of fast-paced nature of it is probably to a degree tied to 
what exactly happened, right, with three arrows. And mm-hmm. no one wants to be behind the ball. No one wants to, you know, seed market share to a competitor because they're not willing to take on risk. But when they're everyone's biggest counterparty, then you have a problem. I think you're exactly right. I think that that's, you know, people give companies a lot of slack because they're like, oh, you know, like, how, what about your risk processes? Well, how are you thinking about counterparty risk? But we speak to the lenders and lenders go like, look, I mean, but everybody on the street is is giving out uncollateralized or or super, you know, undercollateralized loans. And, and how do you even compete in that market? So I think in some sense, I mean, we knew that credit and risk are going to be major issues. We've been talking about this for, for you know, the past year and a half. The hope was that, that we're not going to see such a severe impact, but this will breed a, a healthier ecosystem with, you know, like just better risk controls. We're going to have to hire some more risk managers. Yeah, I think this is where regulation is going to come into play also in terms of protecting retail investors. Like, we all know that consumer protection is in, is going to be important. And when, this, when the lending issues trickle down to retail, that's when um, they're going to step in here. I know, I'm down horrendously. Just... Keep hodling. Keep hodling. So, and I know you're, um, I mean, like, listen, there is no one that is more risk concerned or security concerned than Anton. He yelled at me <laughs> for having an unsecure iPhone passcode. You didn't hear your passcode was like six same numbers or something. It was too guessable by Anton standards. So... You can rest assured that your coins that are touching uh, Talos are, are going to be relatively safe. I can't believe you remember that, man. You're like on the Kanye West video. You know the Kanye West where he, it's a video of him just typing in <laughs> zero, 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 zero. Yeah, mine wasn't that bad. It was like, it was a bit more um, complex, but it was... It was a higher entropy, but not not a, not as high as you would think. <laughs> you could probably guess it within like thirty years instead of like a thousand. If you ever see those charts, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. By brute force. Um, yep. Anyway, so what does the client profile look like? I mean, we're about to see Tesla's earnings drop today, and some of my colleagues and I are going back and forth about whether or not they've sold off their Bitcoin stake not an asset manager, not a financial services company, but it represents the the wave of adoption that we saw in the run-up, maybe abating mm-hmm. if they did in fact end up selling, which could be revealed today. What does the appetite look like among these types of firms to, to yeah. buy crypto? Yeah, I mean, you know, definitely we've seen, uh, I mean, honestly, seen changes in the past uh, five months, I would say. And again, you know, like we, about half of our businesses is, is, is buy side. Those are asset managers or, or hedge funds, uh, systematic or prop desks, uh, and half of our businesses service providers that are using us as a white label to provide trading capabilities to their clients. So we, in those two segments, what we've seen is that interest is still there. There's absolutely no question because ultimately what's happening is that you know, a lot of these firms are asking themselves the, the fundamental question, am I going to be involved in crypto? That's it, right? So now if the answer to that is no, conversation is over, that's fine, they go away. You know, we're not going to, maybe go going to revise at some point. But if the answer is yes, then the, the next question is how. And so on the buy side, we have seen lower volumes, but still seeing quite a lot of adoption. So we're, you know, this past quarter, we closed probably the most 
contracts that we've ever closed uh, by far. So we've seen quite a lot of adoption on the buy side, but on the client side, we have seen lower volumes that are now starting to pick up. On the service provider side, however, it's a lot faster than it was before. Mm. The interest there, because I think that service providers have a really good mentality of, you know, you build when it's quiet. And so a lot of those people are pushing forward. They already made a choice last year that they are going to provide their clients with the services in crypto. They're not going away because we've seen a, a bad quarter or, you know, challenging two quarters. This market might you know, stay dormant or, or stay in this current state for a little bit. But generally speaking, pretty much everybody that we speak to have a really high rate of conviction, are optimistic, and as a result, are building. So we, we've we seen a lot, a lot more, like basically accelerated traction on the service provider side, the, the brokers, the, you know, even banks, the conversation that we didn't have before, we're having them now. Uh, the custodians mm. are rolling out additional services to their customers and trading is coming into play. A lot more there. So, you know, I'm generally, especially seeing this, very, very optimistic where things are going to be. But at the same time, on the ground today, we have seen a lower volume on average per client on the buy side. Uh, And that's, you know, that happened in February, March, and then kind of like April, May and June. It's it's starting to bounce back right now. So we're we're kind of like looking, uh, looking to see what the July numbers are going to be. Yeah, and we've seen that approach pay off pretty well on for us, like for starting Talos, obviously during 2018 when the market was pretty down mm-hmm. um, and being able to build throughout like the kind of crypto, it's not really a crypto winter, but um, and then having when the market picks up again, having the infrastructure, having the, the services in place to service those clients when activity picks up again has worked out really well. Did I mean, Frank, you should know this. You were starting around that time too. Like when we met, it was 2018, you were in the beginning of the path too. And a lot of people were calling us a little bit crazy because we were saying we're going Mm -hmm. to build this institutional infrastructure where it wasn't clear whether demand is going to be, at least for some people, it wasn't clear. But, you know, a year and a half later, we were in place to meet the institutional demand and that has been only growing since. What can you do with a bank? So there's a bunch of different things, right? Banks generally are, you know, they're service providers in the space, right? So the banks right now are going through the phases where they're trying to figure out what kind of services they are comfortable providing and what kind of services they want to provide. And there's obviously also a regulatory component there. When we chat with banking clients, usually the starting point is custody, which, you know, for us, we are not a custodian. We're not a custodian technology provider, but we do connect to pretty much the vast majority of the custodians and we allow our clients to see assets across multiple custodians. So for us, if a bank is heading into, into the custody, that's very interesting because then we can provide them with, with uh, you know, we can provide our clients that use that bank with services. Mm. But then immediately after custody ends, the question is like, what are the services you provide on top of custody? And the two immediate ones are usually trading and credit. And that's kind of like where a lot of the POCs are right now. That's a lot of the conversations. And you also see that on our cap table, we have quite a lot of banking banking partners. And, and the reason is because they're coming into the domain. Do you think banks can get comfortable maybe after the dust settles to get into crypto credit? I Unequivocally, yes. Because again, credit is a part of every asset class and it's a great way to, to provide yield. It's also a great way to provide yield for your customers. And there is a lot of business to do on the credit side in, uh, in digital assets. So yeah, you know, we, we know that that's the case because 
even now they're they're still in those discussions despite of what happened in the past couple of months the key thing for the banking players is especially on the credit side because of the risk involved is really have a close interaction with the regulator and see how the regulator what kind of activities the regulator will allow them to engage in i think the trading happens before lending in majority of the cases mm-hmm. because the clients that have custody solutions basically go to the bank okay but we also want to you know like we want to get into the position somehow okay you're telling me i can custody bitcoin with you where can i buy it the larger service providers want to provide those kind of capabilities and that's what we we're working with uh, quite a few of them on. it's funny because that type of history or rather that type of path reflects the history of crypto institutions right i mean First, you saw a lot of these firms get their SOC 2 to operate as custodians or basically got regulated as institutional grade custodians is the word that they used. Then you had the trading firms expand into lending. So like Genesis launched Genesis Capital in 2018. So you got the custodians, you you got into credit, blockchain.com around that Mm -hmm. same time got into credit. And now they're all trying to be prime brokers to some varying degree. They're in, that's the most recent chapter, if you will. Yep. And, and now they're all bankrupt. No, I'm just kidding. They're not all bankrupt. But <laughs> that's, the, that's the end chapter. But I'm sure the banks will follow a similar type of path. I mean, that's what it seems. You know, I, I don't know if it's going to be followed that way to the latter. But to your point, we are seeing quite a lot right now on the prime broker side. Right. Anything that has to do with credit and how credit connects to trading in general. And that's kind of like where usually prime brokers come in. That and the safety that's uh, that's related to, you know, trading bilaterally with multiple counterparties versus trading with a single counterparty, allowing you to access all this liquidity. We are seeing, you know, like the prime brokerage effectively sector being built out right now. Mm-hmm. So, so far, that's literally what's happening on the institutional side. And more and more from our institutional clients, we hear the requests for that from the clients. So the clients are saying like, yes, I want to trade with all this liquidity. I want to trade with all the exchanges, with all the dealers, but I would feel safer if I can interact with the traditional prime brokerage model. Mm -hmm. We're seeing some of that uh, now happen too. And I think the interesting thing about crypto and digital assets is that you can start thinking about prime brokerage a little bit wider and more efficient here than the stuff that we've done in capital markets, you know? Because you can, especially when you're starting to think about lenders and how quickly the, the capital can move, how quickly you can exchange collateral and principal, how quickly you can deploy it, how quickly you can repay a loan. We're getting here to efficiency that we haven't seen really in capital markets yet. And I think that ultimately the capital efficiency here, like this connection of prime brokerages, the lenders, the trading counterparties, that's going to bring in a more efficient ecosystem altogether. So I think that trading over over time is going to be a lot more efficient than what we've seen in capital markets historically. How so? Well, like what's the what's going to be the most efficient aspect of it? Just settlement? I think that settlement is going to drive a lot of that. Here's like a like a very, very typical example. Let's say you're you're in the middle of a trading day, right? And you are liquidating assets. Let's say that take that example. There's there's a few others, right? A lot of people have been doing that. A lot of people have been doing that. But when you're liquidating assets and you are doing that through, let's say, the OTC rails, right? You have to, you have a certain amount of credit with those OTC desks. You will be able to max out that credit very quickly if you have an event that is, you know, like an outsized event, right? And then at that point, you're effectively stuck until settlement. Now in capital markets, 
you literally have to go through settlement. Sometimes it takes a day, sometimes it takes two. Could, things could happen here. Now, in crypto, like for instance, one of the things you can do in our platform, we released a functionality we're calling one-click settlement. Mm-hmm. You can immediately settle with those counterparties and everything is reset. The risk is basically done and you can start trading yet again, right? So the speed, and to your point, like that's, the, the, that's basically just the clearing and the settlement stuff. That already itself brings quite a lot more capital efficiency. You don't have as much capital locked up for the duration of time. So you can do a lot more with a lot less capital as a result. And those kind of things, you know, there's quite a lot of those kind of examples that just the clearing and settlement part, just the transfer of assets is already making huge, huge impact into how things are going to be done. Yeah, and it's not just settlement, right? If you're doing your treasury management, settling is one thing that you do. Um, Actually, since it's in crypto, you still might need to actually pre-fund the exchanges. So you might take your assets and send them to the exchanges so you can trade. But then if you have leftover capital, you can take advantage of that. And that's why we're looking into you might want to stake those assets. You might want to actually go and lend them out. And one of the big products, honestly, for me, one of the most exciting products that's really something that's new in crypto and digital assets is being able to build the tooling to take advantage of this. And over time, we can start to actually automate these processes that in the past have been like a back office person needs to send a wire transfer to take advantage of the additional capital efficiency. Are you eager to make more informed decisions around crypto using data you can trust? Chainalysis is here to help. Chainalysis demystifies cryptocurrency by providing industry-leading compliance, market intelligence, and investigation support for all crypto assets for organizations like Gemini, Crypto.com, and BlockFi. Gain unparalleled visibility and maximize your potential with the leading blockchain data platform by visiting chainalysis.com slash the scoop now. This episode is brought to you by IWC. IWC Schaffhausen is known for continually innovating within the world of Swiss watchmaking. A pioneer in the use of titanium and ceramics, IWC today specializes in highly engineered watch cases manufactured from advanced materials such as colored ceramics, ceritanium, and titanium aluminide. This year's collection includes colored ceramic pieces in Lake Tahoe white and woodland green. Discover the new collection at IWC.com or download the IWC app to experience a virtual try-on now. Do you think there's anything structurally about the market aside from some of that more, you know, human nature elements or the fast paced nature of crypto that contributed to what happened with three arrows? Like, is there something about the pipes and plumbing of our crypto Wall Street that catalyzed this meltdown? I mean, you know, obviously it's tough to answer no to the, to something like that when you see what happened here, right? But I think first and foremost, there needs to be a, a slightly different approach to risk and how risk is evaluated. And risk in crypto, the way you you, you think about risk, whether it's counterparty risk, whether it's portfolio risk, whether it's, you know, like you have to um, you have to revise a lot of the methodology. Crypto is not exactly like every other asset class. And generally, you build risk profiles for those separate asset classes. And we know that there's a number of people that are now working on how do you actually think about risk properly in crypto, 
like if you really think about it, there's a lot more components here. There's a lot more binary events that can happen, right? For instance, if you have parked your asset on an exchange that is maybe not as familiar, something might happen. Some, you know, regulator might go and, and close down the exchange or worse, the exchange can get hacked. Those assets are gone. Those are usually not the kind of problems that we model in risk systems in capital markets, but you have to model them here. You have to think about those kind of cases here too. So I think in part, you know, we do need stronger risk systems and just generally a better approach to risk. And I think that that's exactly what's going to happen now as a result of everything that we've seen. Are you worried about regulators? I don't know if I'm worried about regulators. You know, I think regulators are there for a reason. I would like to see more clarity from regulators, but mm-hmm. they're working on quite a lot of different things that, that are geared to provide clarity. You know, I, I think my concern is that there could be some actions that the regulators might take as a result, like almost like a knee-jerk reaction as a result of something that just happened in the market that could slow down some of the development, especially in the United States. And I really hope that that doesn't happen. But generally speaking, for us, our view is very simple. We believe that more clarity and tight interaction with the regulator actually yields a better ecosystem. So I honestly think that, you know, like in the medium term, in the longer term, I think that the system is made stronger by having a reasonable and, and clear regulation. So, no, I'm, I'm not concerned. I'm just concerned about the, the short term impact, maybe. Yeah, I think that the key here is incremental regulation and not having that mm. overreaction that actually does have an effect on the market and the existing processes. Um, and then, like, for our business, like, we handle that pretty well. Generally, uh, regulation means you need to have systems in place, like the kinds of systems that we build, to show that you're being compliant with those regulations. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, at one point, what gave me a bit of confidence about prudent regulation was the degree to which Americans have bought into this environment, mm-hmm. right? Like, Coinbase has. 60 some odd million customers. Mm -hmm. And so you don't want to poke that bear. You don't want to poke the retail audience that sort of embodies crypto, Mm -hmm. but now they've all lost a ton of money. So maybe they're less inclined to go to bat for crypto because they're not there. They don't have, I mean, let's say, you know, I had one Bitcoin in November. I'm probably going to maybe call up my congressman if they were leaning anti-crypto but now that my Bitcoin's not worth as much, maybe I'm less inclined to do that. And that has some sort of ramifications. I think that that's basically it, right? Like that's exactly the knee-jerk reaction. That's exactly the the kind of like short-term stuff that can can have an impact. Ultimately, if you're an investor in digital assets, like, you know, you'd be wise to remember some of the other downs that we had in the market. And generally speaking, not generally, but uniformly, we've seen the crypto market come back stronger as a result. Every single one of those instances, you can track it back all the way to to the beginning of crypto, right? But the regulator is not only there to protect the retail sector, they're also there to interact and protect how things are done on the institutional side. And we have seen a very, very large, you know, mobilization in terms of institutions that want to be involved with crypto, that want the regulator to, to provide them with guidance there. Now, you know, if you look at what's happening in the derivative space, We've seen a lot more action right now happening outside of the United States in the derivative space. And we see this on our platform. You know, mm-hmm. we're global in nature. We have clients in APAC, in EMEA, we have clients in in US. And I think that, you know, the regulator is gearing up to provide more and more clearance on the on the derivative space. And you're seeing that heating up in the United States too. But 
we're just hoping the regulators, to Ethan's point, take an incremental approach and thoughtful approach. And actually, the best thing to do is to have a conversation, to talk to the companies that are involved, to talk to the journalists, to talk to everybody that's involved in the sector, understand like what is the right thing to do and not mm -hmm. work in a you know, in a in an isolated environment and come up with rules. Yeah, I think the right way to think about it is on the institutional side is that regulation is an enabler to some extent. Right. Mm -hmm. This is what's going to enable the bigger institutions in the world to actually trade spot crypto. Um, and until we see that certainty, until we we get clip more clarity on that, um, we're going to continue down the path wrong. Yeah, I guess that's the other side of the coin. Once you have that degree of clarity or know what it is, then you can actually engage with it. Exactly. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. So what are you guys going to do with this money you raised? <laughs> you guys picked up quite a bit. Let's see. Let's check the notes here. I think it was a $1.25 billion valuation. That is the valuation. That's pretty good. Yeah. Look, there's a lot of interesting things to, to build here. Generally speaking, what are we focused right now, right? For us right now, a lot of the stuff that we do is around scale. You know, predominantly up until about a year ago, we focused on the United States. But this past year, we have done a lot more in, in Europe. We've done a lot more in APAC, and we have teams uh, on the ground. And so we're, you know, pushing hard to in, into those kind of regions, making sure that we can provide the same level of service there. And that requires, you know, scale of the company. So some of that money is used there. There's uh, obviously diversification of the products. So more and more, again, like, you know, Talos is a one-stop shop. If you want to trade crypto, we can do that for you. We can help you do that, right? But if you really dissect that statement, that means that there's actually need to be a bunch of different services connected. So today we cover, you know, things like treasury portfolio. We do transaction cost analysis. We obviously do trading and execution, clearing settlement. There's other things that need to join the fold to make sure that the client has a coherent, you know, end-to-end -end trade lifecycle support. And we're working very close on that. We're working on a bunch of partnerships. Um, so some of the money is, is, is going there. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, right now people come to Talos for mostly for the trade execution uh, and they kind of stay for a lot of the treasury management features that we're building out, the portfolio management features, the data, and now into marketplace. But we think that there's opportunity to provide independent product lines in each of those spaces. So that's one of the things that we're growing out right now. So being more of a service provider than Yeah, exactly, before? across different spaces. And so you might come to Talos for your treasury management, but actually you're a market maker and you're doing execution yourself or you're using us for your lending needs and that's your main business. Um, and just being able to diversify the set of clients that we appeal to. And also, you know, like we're seeing more and more demand for some of the more sophisticated tools that we have built in capital markets. And we were some of the largest providers actually in capital markets when we did that. Mm -hmm. And those kind of tools require development time. It's testing time. It's, it's being able to support them. You know, when, for instance, we do a lot on, on the synthetic side, we know how to um, effectively trade multiple pairs together across multiple exchanges, you know, whether it's crypto, crypto, whether it's crypto to effects. Now, if you want to get liquidity in, you know, some local currency that potentially doesn't actually have a cross with crypto. Mm -hmm. We do quite a lot of that. It's spreading, basically, is the name for it. We do it across exchange, across multiple pairs. Mm -hmm. um, those are some of the functionalities we're bringing. So it's, it's no longer just, you know, like get to the point where institutions have what they need. It's now stepping into the higher quality, the higher complexity products that institutions require to be bigger to, to do better in this market. And also 
regarding the funding, building these kinds of platforms is a marathon. It's not a sprint, mm -hmm. right? There's constant features that needed to be added. There's new exchanges we need to integrate to. There's more sophistication as the, we see that the traders and our clients are getting more sophisticated. We need to add more sophisticated tools. Um, and that requires longevity. Also, raising this money gives us some assurances around if the market is down for a prolonged period of time, um, we'll be able to weather that storm and, again, come out stronger at the end. Yeah. And I think, you know, Frank, before we, we, we finally let this question be, the, the other thing to mention here is that sometimes when you raise this kind of money, and this is definitely the time, there's an opportunity to do other things when the market is right. And right now, with the way the market is, you know, we are obviously thinking about like what kind of other partnerships can we strike? Are there interesting M&A opportunities? Are there other things that we should be doing that will you know advance uh, some of the stuff that we're providing to our customers? So there's quite a lot of different different reasons, and you know obviously some of the some of the reasons to, to raise capital is also to protect yourself in cases of markets like this if they stay if they prolong longer because mm -hmm. we believe in this market, we believe in building in this market, we believe that it's 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 going to, you know, one, recover, but really strive. Now, how long it takes, we think it's not going to take too long. But even if it does, we want to make sure that we are in a position to be able to execute on the vision that we have. So, you know, so some of the money helps you to have that kind of guarantee, that kind of backing that you can operate no matter what. And we're, you know, continue and we remain as aggressive as we were before in terms of hiring, in terms of advancing in other, in other regions, in terms of um, other things that we do gives you that warm fuzzy feeling it's because it's like you know it's it's you have to think about it this is like the perfect example of there's tons of correlation the market is obviously tough market there's a war going on there's a pandemic going on there's a lot of like bad things that are happening mm -hmm. here so there's every reason for the market to be where it is today and there's you know like systemic systemic risk issues and things like that but if you look at the you know you step out for a second and you see where things can go, what this technology can build, like what the kind of change it can bring to the financial industry and way, way beyond that. Yeah, dude, of course I'm optimistic. That's, it's, it's a, I always have a warm, fuzzy feeling, otherwise I wouldn't be in the sector. This is what we do, you know? This is what we build. Our, our thesis, like from the beginning, I think has always been that crypto is an asset class, it's here to stay. Uh, the biggest institutions in the world are going to want to trade crypto. Uh, and we're continuing to build the kinds of platforms that gives them that really familiar experience. I think this has taken a lot longer than we expected it to in 2018, but I think we're still on the same path. What do you think people aren't paying enough attention to in this market? That's a great question. I mean, honestly, the horrible thing is like, I, I really think that if you ask us like a year ago, it would be credit and risk counterparty risk of course yeah. it doesn't even have to be it's not necessarily just counterparty risk it's it's literally just the risk umbrella and having more systematic uh, approach to risk but and, and we've said this before this is not not new you know and i think that that's exactly where where people should focus because if you really think about the evolution of the asset class i really think that that's the next step now you're starting to think about what kind of role will credit play what capital efficiency looks like going forward and what kind of risk practices do you employ to operate in a, in a safe market. And I think that's still true today. And I think the themes of credit and risk are still going to be very, very relevant for the next two years, at least until things are better buttoned up and are ready to scale even further. But yeah, for me, it's always, you know, credit and risk. And I think maybe another one that Ethan and I talk about a lot is, is um, treasury management, treasury optimization. 
you know, we're getting to the point now where people have quite a lot of assets. People are holding those assets in different places. This asset class is not behaving from an interest rate perspective as other asset classes. So thinking about like how to optimize your your yield, how to optimize this treasury, how to use your treasury correctly, all these assets that you have. Yeah, but now, now, how how do I know that you're not going to three arrows my treasury? You have to do your due diligence. You have to do the diligence. It's a this very unfortunate <laughs> verb you're using that you're trying to coin there. But generally speaking, you know, it, it all comes down to, to trust. Trust is a huge, huge thing in the ecosystem. In traditional markets, that's, a, that's half of it. But honestly, a lot of due diligence, understanding how the people that you are entrusting with your money, what kind of operational process do they have? What kind of recourse do they have in, in cases of events like this? You know, how do they react? Maybe check their Twitter too. It's possible. That might, that might help. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can our listeners learn more about what you guys are building at Talos? So the best place is talos.com, uh, which is our website. So T-A-L-O-S.com. We promise to be more vocal about things that we build, Frank. You're doing great. <laughs> and we're also continuing to hire. I just want to throw this out there. So engineering, product, sales across the board, talos.com slash join us is the URL. In every region as well. Yeah. Yeah. Frank, thank you so much for having us, man. It's awesome, awesome, awesome chatting with you. Anton Katz and Ethan, so much fun. Can't wait for this one to come out. Gentlemen, thanks for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Frank. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest or maybe two guests. We'll see. Have an awesome day.